they're leaving, we're going to read some scripture. This is uh, Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Words are on the screen, and you can follow along as I read Joshua 1, 1 through 6. Uh, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people will get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Let's, uh, let's pray this morning, shall we? Father, we thank you for the truth of the song that we've just sung. That in your time, in your sovereignty, in your providence, in your wisdom, you have promised to make all things beautiful. And you specialize in taking uh, difficult situations and uh, turning the so-called tragedies of our life into something beautiful and something good. And so we thank you for that promise this morning. And Lord, we just uh, pray that uh, as we open up your word this morning and look into your word, that the Spirit of God would speak to us that our hearts would be encouraged, that we would leave here um, having heard from you as the Spirit of God uh, speaks to each of us individually uh, what we need to hear this morning. So thank you for this opportunity. Um, Lord, we are like Samuel. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Uh, So bless us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, for the next uh, several months, we're going to look at a book study, and uh, I kind of feel comfortable getting into a book study. We've done some topical things with Christmas, a couple of New Year's messages, but I like when we get into a book of the Bible. Uh, Part of the reason is because I know where we're going to go for the next two or three months, so uh, you're going to get used to uh, this Old Testament book of of Joshua as we uh, jump into the book of Joshua so uh, let's, let's ask the question, what, what can we learn from this Old Testament book? Well, it was written 3,400 years ago, and this is an ancient piece of literature. And so can, we, can it really speak to us today? And so I remind you of uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, where the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, he says, all Scripture... All of Scripture is inspired of God or God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. In other words, how to live. And so all Scripture has, has value. It's all God-breathed. And so we're going to look at this uh, Old Testament book because it'll speak to us. It'll speak to us about who God is. It'll also speak to us about some challenges in, we're facing in life. And uh, I don't know anybody here that's not facing some sort of challenge or difficulty in, our, in their life. And uh, the, the scriptures will speak to that through the book of Joshua this morning. So in this uh, introductory message, we're going to um, 
uh, begin to look at the book of Joshua. And when I come to a book study, I like to come to it kind of from the standpoint of an investigative reporter. An investigative reporter will ask um, five questions when they were given an assignment. Uh, They all start with the letter W. Uh, So we're going to look this morning at who, who wrote the book. And you might say, well, maybe that's obvious, but we'll, we'll discover who wrote the book. Uh, what is the book about? What's the overall theme of the book of Joshua? Oh, when was it written? I already mentioned this is ancient literature. Where does the book fit in the flow and canon of Scripture, and then why is the book written? So we'll look at those five questions, and then we're going to look at some life lessons from the big picture of the book of Joshua. What are some truths that we can learn from from this uh, old piece of literature that was written some 3,400 years ago. So as Dr. Lutzer, the uh, pastor emeritus of Moody Church in Chicago, says, uh, my job is to speak this morning, your job is to listen, and hopefully we conclude at the same time. So that's where we're headed this morning, and uh, let's jump into this uh, book of Joshua. Question number one, who wrote the book of Joshua? And like, this, is this kind of like asking who's buried in Grant's tomb? Well, sort of, sort of. Uh, we don't really know positively for sure, but most commentators say that Joshua wrote the book of Joshua. Uh, Joshua chapter 24, I believe it's verse uh, 26 we read these words at, toward the end of the book, the last chapter in the book, and Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. So um, almost unanimous opinion from commentators, this was written by Joshua. Now I have a little problem because the last um, seven or eight verses of the book of Joshua record his death. So Joshua could not have written the whole book, and so somebody came along and added an addendum and wrote about the death of Joshua. Just like the Pentateuch, Moses wrote those five first books of the Bible, but the end of the book of Deuteronomy records the death of Moses, so he obviously didn't write that part, but someone else came along and and finished uh, writing the book of Deuteronomy. So Joshua is the author. What do we know about Joshua? Well, he's from the tribe of Ephraim. That was very important for Jewish people to, to discover what their lineage was, what their heritage was, and so the Bible says he's from the tribe of Ephraim. The Bible also talks about his father, doesn't mention his mother, but his father's name was Nun. And so Joshua has become the name and the answer of a Bible trivia question that's been around for years. What character in the Bible had no parents? The answer is Joshua, the son of Nun. So uh, his dad's name was Nun. No more, no more puns or jokes the rest of the morning, I, I, I promise. But we're going to look at Joshua and just kind of get an overview of his life from uh, five words. Because it'll give us a picture of, of who Joshua is. And so they all start with the letter S. So we're going to think about Joshua the slave. Joshua the slave. Joshua was born into slavery. Remember, the, the, the nation of Israel was for 400 years enslaved in, uh, the, by the Egyptians, and Joshua was born a slave. He was born toward the end of that 400-year time period, but Joshua was born a slave. It is thought that he was about 40 years old at the time of Exodus, 80 years old when he was commissioned to be the, the next leader of the nation of Israel, 
And we know that he died at the age of 110. His original name was Hoshea. That was the name that uh, his, his mom and dad gave him, the name Hoshea. Um, that name means salvation. Later on, Moses changed his name. This is Numbers thirteen sixteen. Moses gave Hoshea, the son of Nun, the name of Joshua. So J- Moses changed his name from Hoshea to Joshua, which means Jehovah is salvation. It's the Hebrew equivalent of the name Jesus. And so Joshua was born a slave. I wonder how that impacted his life. It had to impact his life somehow that Joshua was born during this time period when he was not able to enjoy the freedoms that we enjoy, but he was born a slave. He might have been a part of that workforce that the Egyptians made the Israelite slaves work hard in making bricks. And remember when Moses first asked to release the people and let the people go, that Pharaoh made it even harder for them. Uh, Joshua might have been a part of that workforce, and, and being a slave had to impact for his first 40 years how he viewed life. Just like for all of us, our upbringing, whatever it is, impacts how we view life, how we view circumstances, how we view people. I've shared this illustration many times, but it, it fits here. My my paternal grandmother um, I remember visiting her in, in Buffalo, New York, as, uh, as our family would, would drive from Cleveland to Buffalo to visit my, my dad's parents, and uh, we were young, and would be eating a meal in my mother and my grandmother's house, and uh, uh, like most young boys, um, we don't live to eat, we eat to live, and we can't wait to finish dinner and go play, and so we finish dinner, I'm playing with my brothers, and all of a sudden I hear my um, grandmother calling me back to the table. I'm like, oh, okay, what does she want? Ronnie, Ronnie, come back here and come back into the dining room table. I've got a glass of milk sitting there, and there's about a quarter of an inch of milk left that's like really like very warm now. And he's like, you didn't finish your milk. You need to drink the rest of that milk. I'm like, okay, so I, I drink that little quarter inch or half inch of milk down and um, another time uh, remember my, my folks were taking a trip to Israel and uh, my dad led some tours to Israel and my mom went on some of those trips with them so they're away leading a trip to Israel they're gone for about two weeks my grandmother is staying with us we're young and we're having a snack one night and it was a bag of potato chips that were like pulverized I mean, there, there's no chip left in there. You know what she does? She gets out a spoon. And we're eating the potato chips with a spoon because she didn't want to throw it away. And I, one day I must like, ask my dad, like, why is grandma like that? Well, my dad was born in 1929. What happened in 1929? The Depression. And life was hard. And you don't throw anything away. And so all of a sudden, like, Ah, that's why grandma's calling me back to the table. That's why we're eating potato chips with a spoon. (laughs) Because our upbringing affects how we view things and had to impact Joshua. So let's continue to look at Joshua. And I've got to give you some more, and we're going to spend most of our time on question number one, and then we're going to zip through the last four. So some of you are already starting to get worried, like there's five points here, and 
Yeah, so believe me, we'll, we'll, the last four will go very, very quickly. So um, Joshua, he was a slave. Joshua would have um, uh, witnessed the, uh, the ten plagues. Joshua would have been one of those who saw God open up the Red Sea and two million Israelites walk through on dry ground. He saw the power of God. Joshua witnessed God's provision in the wilderness, manna every day for 40 years. Um, Joshua saw that firsthand and, and, and it impacted him of who God is. Well, Joshua the slave, Joshua is also a soldier. Joshua the soldier, uh, a couple of months after the Israelites came through the, the Red Sea, um, they encountered their first military challenge. It's recorded in Exodus chapter 17, uh, beginning in verse 8. And here's what we read, Exodus 17, 8. Now, uh, just through the Red Sea, they're a couple months out of Egypt. And it says in Exodus 17, 8, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So I won't read that whole passage, but uh, Joshua is a military man. And here they are, they're, they're being attacked by the Amalekites. And Moses says to Joshua, you need to get some men together and we need to go out and, and, and fight. And you know this story if you know your Old Testament. Moses is up on the hill. He's got his staff in his hands and he holds it up. And he's watching the battle down below. And as long as his arms are up and that staff is up, Israel's winning the battle. <laughs> but Moses is an, is, is, is an older man at this time. And he's, he's 80 years old and his arms are getting weary. And when his arms go down, uh, the Amalekites win the battle. So he gets Aaron and her to come and, and support him and to lift those arms up. And they win a great battle. And it's really a picture of intercessory prayer that how we need to support one another and pray for one another and encourage one another. And uh, Joshua was a soldier, and uh, he really became a, a general, general, general Joshua. Well, number three, uh, Joshua was a slave. He was a soldier. He was a servant. He's referred to in Joshua chapter 1, as we read, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, um, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid. Uh, that's the NIV. The King James, uh, New King James Version says Moses' assistant. The King James says Moses' servant. So Joshua became Moses' right-hand man. And so for 40 years, he would have been Moses' helper, Moses' aid. He was kind of to Moses what Paul had a relationship with Timothy. And so, so he was uh, an aide to Moses, a servant to Moses. He would have got a look up front and close and personal to Moses and his leadership and uh, all the good things and all the bad things. But he was Moses' right-hand man for 40 years. We also learn about Joshua the spy. So now the Israelites are out of Egypt. Uh, they're uh, headed to this land that God had already promised to give to them. And now uh, 
Moses wants to send out some spies. They're encamped in Kadesh Barnea. And you know this story. The instruction is to take one spy from each of the 12 tribes and to go in and begin to look at the land and oversee the lay of the land. And this is recorded for us in Numbers chapter 13. You know the story that the spies came back and uh, 10 of them said, uh, hey, uh, this is too much for us. There's giants. It's a beautiful land, but there's giants in the land and there's no way that we can conquer this land. And 10 of those spies said no. And two of them said God's promised us this land. We need to go in and conquer it. They said, go. And we remember the name of the two spies who said, go. That was Joshua and Caleb. Nobody, without looking back on the text, anybody, nobody knows the names of those 10 other guys. Their, their names are all listed there. Nobody remembers them. But it was Joshua and Caleb that came back and said, you know, God has promised this land and and we need to go forward and we can conquer them because God's already won the victory. We just need to have faith. Well, we know the story that uh, they didn't go into the land and that uh, God's judgment on them was that for every day they were spying in the land was 40 days, that they would wander in the wilderness for one year for every day that they spied in the land. So for 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness, and a whole generation, everybody 20 years old and up, died in that wilderness as God's judgment. So Joshua and Caleb were the only uh, older folks that entered, entered the promised land, and Moses wanted to go, but God said no. He saw it from a mountaintop, but he never got into the land. So Joshua was one of the spies that, that gave a positive report. But lastly, the last S is Joshua, the successor. We already mentioned he became uh, the successor of Moses. And we read about this in, uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 3, verses 27 and 28. Uh, this is the, the passage that talks about that Moses isn't going to go into the promised land. Go up to the top of Pisgah and look west and north and south and east. Look at the land with your own eyes since you are not going to cross the Jordan, Moses. You're not going in. But commission Joshua and encourage and strengthen him for he will lead this people across and will cause them to inherit the land that you will see. So Moses saw it from the mountaintop. He never got to set foot into the land but God's hand-picked successor for Moses was Joshua. And Joshua was commissioned to be um, the next leader, the one who would go in and, and, and conquer the land. It was a huge task to follow a leader like Moses. And uh, Joshua has, was given some clear instructions in Joshua 1 that we'll look at next week to encourage him as the new leader. Well, that's uh, who wrote the book, Joshua. He was a slave. He was a soldier. He was a servant to Moses. He was a spy. And he's the new leader of the Israelite people. Well, question number two, what is the book about? What is the book about? And it's all about entering the promised land. It's all about conquering Canaan. In fact, walk through the Bible ministries gives like a one-word theme for every book in the Bible. The book of Joshua is the word conquer. 
it's 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 a it's a book about military strategy. It's it's a, a book about battles, and uh, a great challenge for the nation of Israel, who were slaves, who wandered in the wilderness for forty years, and then they had to pivot to being what a, a military operation, and they had to they had to learn fighting techniques. And um, one of the key words in the book of Joshua is the land. Uh, the word land is used 87 times in the book of Joshua because it's about fulfilling God's promise of the land that God had promised to Abraham. So a brief outline of the book of Joshua. The first five chapters are preparation for conquering Canaan. Uh, as I said, they had to learn to pivot to be a military operation. They were used to being slaves. They were used to being wandering in the wilderness. And so they were preparing to conquer the land. Uh, chapters 6 through 12, conquering Canaan. There was a three-part strategy. There was a central campaign, which cut off the north from the south. Then there was a northern campaign and a southern campaign. And that's listed in chapters 6 through 12 covers about a seven-year period. And um, the, the cities that they conquered in Canaan, were there was not a unified type of government. They were individual cities that each had their own kings. Most of them were walled cities. It was a great challenge for the nation of Israel. But God had promised to be with them. So as we move through chapters uh, 6 through 12, it's, it's about conquering. And, of course, we know the most uh, familiar one is the Battle of Jericho. That was the first battle, but there were lots of other ones. And General Joshua was the one who led uh, led the nation of Israel. Well, then the last part of the book, 13 through 21, is about distribution of the land. And so each of the 12 tribes then, once they conquered the land, they were allotted portions of the, the land of Canaan, the promised land. And so Joshua distributes the land to each of the tribes. And then the last couple of chapters, uh, 23 and 24, is Joshua's farewell. And so uh, the book of Joshua covers about 30, 35 years. And it begins with Joshua taking the reins from Moses, and it ends with Joshua dying at 110. And he gives some farewells to uh, to the nation. So that's uh, that's a little bit of the overview of what the book is about. When was the book written? Well, we've already kind of touched on this, but it was written approximately 1400 BC. This was written 3,400 years ago. As I already mentioned, after 400 years of slavery for Israel, after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, after the death of an entire generation that died in the wilderness after the death of their beloved leader Moses, now the nation of Israel has a new leader. They're poised to enter the promised land. And uh, so this was written uh, about 1400 B.C., before Christ. Well, question number four, where does the book fit in the canon of Scripture? And so um, if you remember our little outline of the Old Testament, 39 books in the Old Testament, a little uh, outline of numerical outline is 512, 5512. That's the structure of the Old Testament. First five books are the book of Pent the Pentateuch. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy that Moses wrote. Then the next 
group of books are history books. So 5, 12, 12 books of history. Joshua is the first history book. And the 11 books that follow it are all about the history of the nation of Israel. Then we have five books of poetry or wisdom, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and uh, the wisdom literature. And then we have five major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, called major prophets, not because they're more important than any other book, but because they're long books. Isaiah has 66 chapters. And then 12, the last 12 of the 512, 5512 is the minor prophets. Don't ask me to name them from memory, but they're, they're in there. There are 12 minor prophets simply because the books are very short and very small. So the book of Joshua is the first book in that history section that picks up the history of God's people, the nation of Israel. Well, lastly, uh, we ask the question, well, why was the book written? So what's, what's the purpose of, of the book of Joshua and recording this, this history? And uh, this is from uh, the Bible Knowledge Commentary. Uh, to give an official record of the fulfillment of the Lord's promises to give Israel the land of Canaan. So this is an official record of, of history of God's faithfulness to give the land to the nation of Israel. One other from Walk Through the Bible Ministries says, through three major military campaigns involving more than 30 enemy armies, the people of Israel learn a crucial lesson. Victory comes through faith in God and obedience to his word rather than military might or numerical superiority. And so the, the book of Joshua is written to um, give us a history of uh, God's promises and his faithfulness to give Israel the land. We can also learn some other lessons from the book of Joshua. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, we read uh, the first uh, nine or ten verses talk about Israel's history. And then Paul writes to the Corinthians, These happened to them, to Israel, as examples and were written down as warnings for us on which the culmination of the ages has come. And so the Apostle Paul is simply saying that the history of the nation of Israel, uh, as it's written and recorded, should be an example to us. It should be a warning to us to avoid the mistakes that they made, to not murmur and complain all the time that they did in the, in the wilderness, and, and to learn to trust God. And so as we go through the history of Israel, we can learn positive and negative lessons uh, and avoid some of the same mistakes that the nation of Israel made. Well, there's a quick overview of the book of Joshua. Who wrote the book? Joshua did. The book's all about conquering. It's about uh, God's fulfillment of promises. It was written 3,400 years ago. It's the first book in the history section of the history of Israel and is written to record a record. Uh, and here we are 3,400 years later uh, about what God did and his faithfulness. Well, this morning, just in the 10 minutes that we have left here, let's, let's think about some big picture lessons. So what can we learn uh, big picture wise from the book of, of Joshua? And here is lesson number one. 
Lesson number one is this. We can learn from the book of Joshua that God always keeps his promises. That God always keeps his promises. That God is the ultimate promise keeper. And all of us go through life and uh, we've had uh, individuals uh, that have made promises to us. And maybe as a kid you've told mom and dad, but you promised. We've all experienced that disappointment of a promise that for some reason didn't happen and wasn't fulfilled. And the good news this morning is that there's one person who uh, will never let us down, whose promises are always fulfilled. He's described in Titus 1-2 as a God who cannot lie. And it's the person of God. And the book of Joshua is uh, an example that God is a promise-keeping, covenant fulfilling God. So hundreds of years before the book of Joshua, God called a man by the name of Abraham to leave Ur the Chaldees and go to a land that I will show you. And that land was Canaan, the promised land. And it says in Genesis chapter 12, uh, it says, and Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, to your children, grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren, to your offspring, I will give this land. That's the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, Part of the Abrahamic covenant was not only that the Messiah would come through the, the, the Jewish people, the line of Abraham, but it was also significantly about a piece of property, a piece of land, And God promised to Abraham, the land of Canaan, the promised land, I'm giving it to you and your descendants. They're still battling over that land today. But that land was given to Israel. And that promise to Abraham was repeated over and over again through the book of Genesis in chapter 13, 15, 17, 22. It was given also to Isaac in Genesis 26. It was given again to his descendant Jacob in Genesis 28. To succeeding generations, God said, Abraham, this land belongs to you. And the fulfillment of that promise came hundreds of years later when Israel, under the leadership of Joshua, conquered the land. God always, always keeps his promises. Now, one of the things we need to understand as we read Scripture and read the promises of Scripture um, is that we need to understand them in context, and we need to understand who that promise was given to. Some promises are given to individual people. Some are given to the nation of Israel. Some are given to the church. So we need to understand these promises in, in context. There's an old hymn that says, every promise in the book is mine. Um, well intended, but not everyone belongs to you. <laughs> We need to understand who they were given to and what the context of that is. But um, God has given us some promises, and that gives us great certainty in the age of confusion and chaos in which we live. And there's promises that we can hold on to today that will encourage us this morning. The promise of the forgiveness of sins to those who put their faith in Jesus. The promise that God will never leave us or forsake us. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. The promise of God's provision. Philippians 4, 19. But my God will supply all your need. 
And boy, I could tell many, many stories just in our own personal life of how, how God provided uh, our basic needs for us. Because God is a promise-keeping God. The promise of the peace of God. That when we go through challenges and we go through difficulties, uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, this one's a conditional promise. And, and, and Paul writes and says, um, Do not be anxious about anything. Stop worrying. But with thanksgiving, give your requests and your praises to God and give it to God. And then what happens? The peace of God that passes all understanding will guard our hearts, our emotions, and our thoughts in Christ Jesus. That's a promise I need sometimes many times a day when life is chaotic. But we can have the peace of God. Uh, Isaiah 26, 3, Thou wilt keep in perfect peace him whose mind is fixed on God. Uh, there's a great promise in uh, John, the book of John, chapter 14. And this is from the upper room. And remember, uh, the disciples were going through chaos because Jesus just said, one of you is going to betray me, and by the way, I'm leaving, and you can't come with me. And, and they're all in emotional upheaval, and Jesus gives them a promise. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. He gives them the promise of a person. Then he gives them a promise of, of, a, of a place. I'm going to prepare a place for you. That's called Heaven. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And then there's a promise. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and take you home to where I am also. And so we have all these promises of God. Boy, we need to remember in the chaotic world in which we live that this world is not our home. And if you're just focused on today, if you're just focused on the things of this world, you're going to be greatly disappointed. But God's got a promise for us. He's got a place for us. And it's a place called heaven. And that's where our journey ultimately ends if you know Christ as your Savior. Well, number two, life lesson number two from uh, the big picture of the book of Joshua is this. When a man of God dies... Nothing of God dies. So Moses had been Israel's leader for 40 years. Uh, there were 2 million people that left Egypt, and they looked to Moses as their leader, and they complained to Moses, and they looked to Moses to provide their needs. And then after 40 years, at the age of 120, Moses dies. But we need to remember when a man of God dies, nothing of God dies. That God, God still has a plan. And that our hope is not in a person, a human person. Although all we, need, we all need leaders and role models. But when a man of God dies, nothing of God dies. Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet Isaiah writes, In the year King Uzziah died. King Uzziah had been the leader of the nation and the king for 52 years. And now King Uzziah has died. And the nation is in turmoil. Their leader's dead. And Isaiah says, I saw a vision of the Lord, high and lifted up, sitting on the throne. And so we need to, uh, when, when a man of God dies, we need to remember that nothing of God dies, and that God is still on the throne, that God is in control. And God always, always raises up, and in the business of raising up what? New leaders for a new generation. 
And so Moses is dead, and what happens? God puts his hand on Joshua and says, now you're the man. You're going to take the mantle of leadership. So we need to keep our eyes fixed on who? Not on a leader, not on a pastor, but ultimately our eyes are fixed on God. I have a, uh, we have a seven, seven-year-old grandson. His name is Luke, who spends uh, a lot of time with us. Consequently, he spends a lot of time in this building. Comes to our WANA program, but uh, he's, he's over here a lot, and he thinks he has the run of the place. Don't tell him. I, he knows the, the code to the keypad in the back. I caught him once like checking that out. Like, okay, Luke, that, you got a little too much information here. And uh, so I'm joking with him. I said, well, you know, who knows? Um, you know, maybe someday you'll be, you'll be a pastor. <laughs> maybe someday you'll be a pastor of Community Bible Church. Well, don't worry, I'm not going to stay that long. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, God's got to raise up what? New people, new leaders. That's why we need to invest in the next generation. When a man of God dies, nothing of God dies. Lastly, the third lesson from the, the book of Joshua says, the key to God's blessing in our lives is obedience. We're going to see that all through the book. What was the difference in 40 years when uh, God wanted them to initially go into Canaan? Uh, they, they, they saw the challenges. They're like, no, even though God had promised, I've given you this land, they disobeyed God and they paid dearly for it. Now, 40 years later, the pathway to God's blessing was obedience. Deuteronomy 28 is a key chapter in the Old Testament. It, it's given to Israel, and the first 12 verses or 14 verses are, if you obey me, all these blessings you're going to get to enjoy. Uh, but then the last part of Deuteronomy 28, and it's a long section, uh, the last uh, like 50 or 60 verses are curses for disobedience. If you don't obey me, all of this is going to happen. And all the struggles that Israel had, and you know, go through the book of Judges, and, and uh, they didn't fully obey God, did they? And so they had all these uh, um, battles and these people that came and uh, oppressed them, and then they would cry out to God, and God would raise out a judge and deliver them, and then they'd fall into that same cycle over and over again. Why is that? Because they didn't obey the key to God's blessing, sometimes, God, would you bless me? He wants to bless us. Now, our part is to, to obey him and to follow his guidance in Scripture. So God comes to Joshua and says, be strong and courageous, Joshua 1.7. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left that you may be what successful wherever you go. You want to enjoy success from God's eyes? Then you got to know the book, and you got to obey. And the key to God's blessing is not just to be a hearer of the word. That's where James warns us. Don't just be hearers of the word. You deceive yourself. But what? Uh, you need to be what? Doers of the word. You need to put it into practice. And so the key, as we'll discover in, in the, the book of Joshua, all through the book, the key to God's blessing was obedience. The first battle, they obeyed God and won a victory in Jericho. Battle number two, Ai, they suffered defeat. Why? Because one person 
his name was Achan, did not obey God. The key to God's blessings in our lives and our family life, our church life, is obedience to God. So that's a little bit of background of the book of Joshua. And uh, uh, let me just encourage you, if you have some challenges in your life, if you have some battles that you are facing and looking at 2022, uh, this book is for you and for me. Because the same truth and principles that God gave to Joshua to have victory are the same truths and principles that we need to grab onto to have success in the challenges that we face in the days to come. Let's, let's pray together as we close this morning. Lord, thank you for um, this book that was written 3,400 years ago but that is part of your um, canon of Scripture, part of your record that was written down so that we could learn your faithfulness and learn some lessons from the mistakes of others and from the obedience of others. And Lord, I pray that as we journey through this book, that as all of us are facing uh, challenges today, whether it be uh, financial challenges, whether it be health challenges, whether it be a spiritual battle, whether it be a family relationship challenge. Lord, as we look into the, the words that you gave Joshua to have victory, that you've given us some of those same promises. And Lord, that we would apply them to our lives and that in the face of chaos and confusion, we would stand firm on the promises of God as you lead us through um, our journey here on earth, ultimately to our place that you've called us to, uh, the place of heaven. So uh, bless us and encourage us, we pray in Jesus' name.